Today's reading is Acts chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exalted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. All right. Thank you, Dee. Hello again. My name is Dave. Um, and uh, we're going to get into our time here together pretty, pretty quickly. Um, I will say as we do that, though, um, this is, I think, as even someone said, this day is often a day of kind of transition for us. We, we hardly ever know what the summer will hold. We're kind of coming into our third summer, and we've grown a lot over the last few years. And even this front row, normally there's a couple of college students who committed to said, we'll be in that front row. Um, we'll commit to it. But they're gone, and they're going to be gone all summer. So who's going to step up? Um, and who's going to fill in? And also, this whole section right here, usually next Sunday, we're like, there's this massive hole because all the college students aren't here. So just want to give you an encouragement there that the summer is a very different time, but also a time for us to be really in intentional to grow. And we've often seen some of our key families. I think the heart, most of the families up here actually came during um, summers. And uh, so it's always neat to see what God will do uh, with us here this summer. So just a heads up there. And um, now go ahead and turn with me. As you saw there, we're in Acts chapter 11 uh, this morning, verses 19 through 30. And if you have a Bible, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, would you uh, hold your hand up high? And keep it up and somebody will get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, you do now. This is our gift to you. También si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es nos regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 11. I um, want to make sure we all have a Bible. Again, if you don't own one, please keep this and bring it. If you just keep getting them every week, then start to give them away but, um, to someone. But uh, um, as we're getting there and turning there, just some, some handles for us as we follow through God's word this morning is uh, Acts. We're in the book of Acts. And most of your Bibles probably say the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really most clearly the Acts of God. And we've seen that in these first chapters on display, God revealing his character, his purposes, and who he is and what he's doing. And we'll continue to see that this morning. And we see God acting or working and forming a people by his grace. And that, that word people, that idea is, is, is the church, his church. And so we'll see that God is forming a global church and a Christ-like church, and a Christ-centered church. And uh, that's not only true of them 2,000 years ago, but that's our prayer, amen, this morning. I'm gonna call for amens, by the way, right? I need to make sure we're, we're, we're all tracking, okay, so you can respond with amen if you're with me. And um, let me pray. As the church is often done, before we get into our time in God's word, this is a reminder that we need him. We need the Holy Spirit, whom he has sent, to illuminate our hearts, to open our minds 
and to empower us to receive the good news of Jesus. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for your word, the word that you've sent, that you've given us, the Holy Spirit whom you've sent to shape us and to form us and to point us to your son, Jesus, whom you sent to redeem us and rescue us and to usher in your good news, your kingdom, the world as it ought to be. And so we pray that you will enable us and empower us to come before you to be shaped and transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, picking right up here, verse 19, we see God forming a people by his grace, a church, a global church, picking up in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So what we have here is as we're, we're transitioning again, okay, we've been kind of seeing for those of us who've been following along, we've seen God's works displayed primarily through a couple different characters, right? We saw Peter, and then this is, by the way, kind of the last we'll see for the most part of of Peter and, and you've seen Peter, Peter, Peter and then now it kind of transitions. You saw him rescue a guy named Saul or Paul who will become known as the apostle, the sent one to the Gentiles and yet before we get to him, there's this reminder here that this movement of God, of forming a people, um, this good news that we talked about last week, going forward to the Gentiles, okay, that's the ends of the earth, the non-Jewish community the, 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 who, who God's people would have had a, a hard time understanding that his plan from all along was global was not just a small group of people who did all the right things and ate all the right things and all these stuff, but he was forming a people to be a light to the entire world. And what we see this morning is some unnamed people, some unnamed disciples um, who, who, are, who are used by God to carry his gospel to the entire world. It's not Peter, Paul, Peter, Paul, Right, it, lest we, I think we're, we tend to have these like kind of, you know, celebrity ideas of, oh, it's all about Peter, oh, it's all about Paul, oh, well, you know, God uses that guy or that guy does these things because he's an all-star and we're just, you know, who we are, I'm a nobody. But the message here is there's some clear unnamed people and even these, these, these specific places are mentioned that are Gentile places that God is using to carry his good news forward. And this is a reminder that this is God's work. And this needs to be a reminder to us too today that this whole movement that we're reading about here, this, again, Peter and Paul, we have a tendency to kind of put them up on a pedestal to think, well, how does that apply to us? Or No, and this is again a reminder that God is using his people to carry about his work. And something else significant that happens here is this is the first of many times that we'll hear about this place called Antioch. Okay, and at the time, we're gonna spend, uh, spend a moment here because it's really applicable to us today of connecting the dots with this place of Antioch because A, we're gonna hear a lot more about Antioch in, in times to come. 
And, and yet Antioch, we just kind of hear it. It's one of those things like that's kind of a weird name. I don't even know how you pronounce it or whatever. Or where is it? And we just kind of hear it back then. And then we jump right to us here in Tucson, you know, 2017, just kind of move on. And we miss some massively important things that God is communicating. One is this. Antioch is a major global city in the time. That in the time, it was probably like the third city in the world by many accounts, or at least top five, right? Like in, our, in, in the US, think, right, we've got like New York, LA, and you know, then like Chicago, right? Or maybe, you know, Houston or Dallas or these other massive global cities. Well, in the time there, you had Rome and Alexandria, and then, you know, Athens is on the scene. But Antioch is that kind of massive metropolis. It's an influential city. But do you guys know where Antioch is? You know, like there's a map here to help us get some perspective here. Okay, so there's Antioch right there, right? You can see it. It's basically southeastern Turkey. And look, it's right next to a city that over the last six or so months we've heard a lot about, right? Aleppo, Syria. And I want us to pause for a moment because as we think of the global reality of God's church, and, and keep this map up here for a while for us because I think we need, to, we need to be jarred a bit to think through, right? We think of Christianity. There's even some, some conversation and some, and, some, and some tendency, some propensity to think of, you know, we read Acts 1 verse 8, which, you know, we spent some time in a number of months ago and God's promise through Jesus that said the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the good news, the gospel will go forward to, to, to uh, Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we see this map, we see that this whole place, the birthplace of Christianity, we'll even hear that in a, in a moment as we get into the first time people are even called Christians, is guess where? Right near Aleppo, Syria. And this needs to be a time, not for us to just be, you know, not a, at all to bash on where we're from, but I think we have a little bit of a tendency that's crept into our church. This might be unpopular but is in American exceptionalism where we think of Christianity as being America's or the West's. I even heard someone this morning, I was sitting at Cartel and I heard this dude behind me dropping F-bombs left and right. And the way he was talking about religion and all these things in general was about like, you know, Christianity, it's Western, it's this whole thing. And then you've got Islam and the Far East and all this. Well, no diss on any of this stuff, but just for perspective, okay, this is fact here that, okay, the birthplace of Christianity right there is right now where currently we think of as like, uh, as like ISIS territory, right? Is like Islamic territory is what a lot of people think of. Well, this is um, more than 850 miles away from where Islam even started in the peninsula of Arabia, now Saudi Arabia. This is over 600 years before Islam would even come into existence. And yet the good news of Jesus, the global work of God, bringing the message and the work of reconciliation throughout the world of a people that he said, let us make man in our image, God cultivating uh, all of society and creating us to love him and depend on him and relate with him and then to be sent throughout the entire world to, to carry his good news and then sin enters in and we all turned away like sheep, we're told, to our own way and division comes into families and 
and society and the world. And then he doesn't leave us there in that place of brokenness, but he says, I will send my son. I will put an end to this. He will crush the effects of sin. And, and, and the good news proclaimed from the very beginning in Genesis 3, the proto-euangelion, the declaration of the first gospel, the first good news. And God says, I will put this all into place under his perfect rule and reign, and that comes through Jesus and his life and his death and his victorious resurrection that shapes us in every way of life. And where did that start? In 1776 in the United States? No. Right, right here in this community, in this place. And the message for these people that we're reading was to be humbled and empowered by the good news that God's work, his gospel going forward is global and it's his. And they needed to think of, wow, it's going places. It's going even to Turkey, Cyprus, maybe even one day to Greece, maybe even Saul was on a trajectory and a journey, maybe even to Spain. And they weren't even there yet to like crazy pagan nut jobs, you know, England, France, right? Ireland, that's, this is like my family heritage here, right? Germany, we don't even get to here, right? The U.S., that wasn't even on. So again, now they need to be empowered and encouraged and humbled that God's movement was going forward. We need to be empowered, encouraged, and humbled that it's his work, it's his good news, his gospel. Amen? And, it's, and it, it began in this place that maybe we think of as unchristian or out of reach, no, God's on the move. And in fact, that message and that encouragement is even reaffirmed here in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. God's work is forming a people who will carry his good news, his gospel, and his scope is global. And then he's forming a people who are Christ-like. Pick up with me. Now in verse, uh, verse 22, and the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So this guy Barnabas, whose name by the way means encouragement, means son of encouragement, and this, and this good news that, he's, that, that, that we're seeing here, he sees it. He sees evidence of God's grace and he shows up and he encourages, he exhorts. Now just to pause maybe for a minute. First of all, I just, because I know we have a lot of young families, right? We're kind of thinking through names, what to name your kids, right? I've given you some ideas, right? We've talked about Moses or Dorcas, right? We saw Dorcas. Anyone there yet? Anyone name their kid Dorcas? We could do that. That'd be really fun to to dedicate Dorcas. Um, well, no, why not Barnabas, right? We're gonna take that back from the Flintstones, you know, Barney or, you know, Andy Griffith show for our older folks, you know, B Barney, like Barnabas, Barney. But, but it's more than just this name, like what's cool, what sounds right, nice, what rhymes, right? What doesn't bring up that kid in second grade that we don't wanna associate our own kids with. And we think through names like this. But this Barnabas, his name is, is because it's connected to his character, and this was common in, in this day. He's an encourager. How many of us would be, would be if our name was how we carried ourselves? Uh-oh. Son of encouragement. 
some of us might be like the seven dwarves, right? Grumpy, sleepy. I don't know if there's a shorty, but I got dibs on that. Um, actually, I got a few probably that would be there. Um, right? These names, though, that we might, you know, kind of connect with how we, how we walk toward others, you know, gossip, discourager, right? Complainer, unfaithful, arrogant, cocky, I don't know. I mean, right, the list goes on and on that, and yet you see when God's forming his people, there's an intentionality of how we come toward one another. When we understand and experience the gospel, that needs to be fleshed out in how we relate with one another. And Barnabas is one of the most clear examples of that, and we'll see more of him as we go through here, but again, just pause for a moment. Maybe we even pray, as we prayed for these kids, that, that we would be grown and shaped into a bunch of Barnabai, a bunch of Barnabases. You like that? Latin. Um, Barnabas, right? That we would be encouragers. That we would push one another to, 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 to understand the grace of God. And look what he does here, right? It says when he came, he brought the, an exhortation or an encouragement because he saw the grace of God. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to what? Remain faithful. Let's spend a moment just kind of considering that right now as some of you students are different people who are transitioning to different places. I know we prayed for students primarily, but there are other people that are, that are you know, taking jobs or transitioning to different locations. And this is kind of a, a, a Sunday where we pause and we consider what it means to be sent. All of us are sent at the end of every service when we have the benediction, the sending out of God's people. Be sent to remain faithful. The idea here is of, of staying like morally committed to the gospel, to Jesus, to some, 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 some scriptures that come to mind. One is Hebrews 12 that where the author there encourages people. He says, run with endurance the race that has been set before you. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured death, even death on the cross, and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Remain steadfast, remain faithful. And there's a lot in our kind of modern Christianity, and some of us maybe have seen this even in our own lives. Some of us maybe here are newer to this whole thing. You've just put your faith in Jesus, and, you're, and you, um, you know, it was all kind of fireworks and stuff, or you felt something. You're like, this is good. And then you come into a point where, you know, it's like if you've ever run a race or something like that, right? Like the, the gun goes off, and you're going, you're hustling. If you ever run a marathon or any, anyone like that here, and you kind of get through that first mile, and you're like, wow, I just ran a sub-six-minute mile. And then it hits. I've got 25.2 more of these to go. It's probably, right, like, or anything like that. You kind of come out of the gates. But there's this idea here that I want to encourage. Like, just take a breath here. The, 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 the message of scripture consistently is the long game. It is, is, is not how you begin this race, but how will you finish it? I've shared with you before, sadly, a number of the people that stood next to my wife and I when we got married are no longer walking with the Lord. These were people who stood on, you know, Sending Sunday and went to all different parts of the world and parts of the country to, to you know, summer missions and to go share their faith. And 
And, and yet, sadly, we've seen a number kind of flame out. There's this idea of steady plotting that I pray we embrace. Okay, simply put, it's like this. Embracing the mundane of everyday life of following Jesus. As I, even as I look out, we've got a, a few, and I pray we would have more faithful saints, if you will, right? Some older people. We, we need to, as younger folks, or you need to, I don't know really where I fall in this uh, spectrum, but look to those before us we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. For those of you who are older, let me commission you and encourage you, we are looking to you. We need to be looking to you. If we're not, like rebuke, slap us, call us out, say, hey, look to me, right? You don't know, you don't have it all figured out. But we need that cross-generational life, that cross-generational ministry where we have more and more examples of faithful fathers, faithful grandfathers, faithful mothers, faithful aunts, Faithful grandmothers who are, are pouring into their families and their children who aren't just saying, oh, I'm retired. I'm gonna just go play golf and kind of ditch out and you know, be kind of here and there. No, we need a people, a community to see what it means and looks like to remain faithful. Amen? Oh, let's pray that that would be the kind of community that God would form and shape here. And yet, as I say that, let me point us to a, 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 a progression, if you will, that has been in this text it's not what we fall into. Hey, try harder, do better, grit your teeth, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be a good Christian, man, woman, father, husband, right? Try the best you can and we're all watching you so don't fail us and God's up there watching and he's gonna shake his head and wag his finger at you if you don't get it right. So here's 10 points of how to do the you know, Christian life right. Just follow these 10, 10 points and do the best you can. We fall into that kind of moralistic individualism, I've got what it takes. That's not the message here. Seeing the grace of God at work among them, then he exhorted them, remain faithful. And then we see further down, then they were called Christians for the first time in verse 26. So there's a trajectory here that's this. It's not try harder, do better, grit your teeth, you flex whatever, read your Bible and memorize all this stuff and then, and then at some point God's grace will be on you or his favor, that word grace means undeserved favor and then if you do that stuff, you look like a Christian and, and you get all right. No, there's first get God's grace. Understand his undeserved favor that is poured out on you that is not do harder, try harder, do better, do all the right things and then maybe God is happy with you but no, it's first get the gospel. Sigh a sigh of relief that Jesus has done what you and I cannot do. Jesus has given us an access to God the Father, undeserved, that we get through his death and his resurrection, that no matter how hard we try or how well we think we do, we could not ever accomplish on our own. But through Jesus, we now have God's grace that saturates us. And then someone like Barnabas comes in and says, hey, I see that grace. I see God's grace is on you. Now remember that grace and remain faithful. Because of his faithfulness, you can now be faithful. Amen? Amen? And here's what happens. When that's the case, it's recognized. When you cling to Jesus, when you're one with Jesus, that oneness is recognized by others. And that's what happens here um, in verse uh, 26, I'll pick up there. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas went and to 
Tarsus, again, you saw it up on the, ma- on the map up there, right? It's in, it's in kind of se- south central, south central, south central Turkey, not LA, south central. And he went and got Saul and we'll hear more about him in a minute or in a, in a few weeks rather. But um, so Barnabas, right? Barney goes and gets Saul and he brings him back to Antioch. So again, Antioch's important for us to follow along with, not just as a history lesson, but for us to remember, right? God's global church and now his Christ-like church. Because it says, verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples, that, dis- that word disciple means followers, were first called Christians. This is the first place. And there's some, some, some people, you know, talk about this. What did that mean? Was it a negative term? Was it a pejorative term? Was it a mocking term? You know, Christians, they were called Christians. Well, they are called Christians and it's something like this. I think it was a little bit of a pejorative tone from what I've read into here, but likely not like, dude, that's a straight up burn. Like, you know, not like people are rolling on the ground, just like Christians, ah, that's ridiculous. And I don't know if some of you have heard this and stuff before, but it gets to something more like this. It probably was a little bit of a pejorative word because it's always used by outsiders. Wherever we see it in the New Testament, it's always by outsiders, not within the community of followers of Jesus. Okay, so they didn't like adopt this word or make it up or whatever, say this would look good on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or whatever there, right? Other people called them it, but it was more like this, right? If you have a family, some of you guys even saw the, the families that were up here. I think they all kind of look alike, right? Husbands, wives, kids, you know, and as you, 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 you uh, meet them, you know, you see their, their kind of mannerisms, how they carry themselves, what they laugh at, how they, you know, you see that, right? You see kind of families taking on these, these kind of, these, these, these traits, these, these different things, right? And it would be like saying, you know, you know M- Mike Jones, and then you see Mike's kids, and you're like, those are a bunch of M- Mike-ites, right? Mini Mike's. I want to be like Mike. And, and you, and, and right, and it's something like that, that they saw Jesus in and through these people, and they said the things these people care about are like the things that Jesus cared about. They care about the marginalized, they're, they're, they're fixated on this gospel business. They're fixated on this resurrection business, right? We'll even see coming up here next week that they're so fixated on that that some of these people who initially denied Jesus and ran away and fled when he died on the cross because of his resurrection, we'll see starting next week, these people start to get killed for their confidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus and his gospel. And they're so grounded in that they look so like Christ that they're called little Christs. That's what Christians kind of means, that tack on there. They were recognized by their closeness to Jesus. Is the same true for us today? Again, going back there earlier, is God's grace so foundational to us that we are remaining faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit whom he sent that we can do no other than to look like Christ, to live like Christ, to live all of life, all for Jesus? How many should put that on a t-shirt or something? Right? To be Christian, to be Christ-like is to remain faithful because of his faithfulness to us. Amen? The church is God's church and it's global and it's Christ-like. And now lastly, we see it's Christ-centered. Okay, picking up in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
And if you remember, just in case you're wondering there, if you're like, this Bible's out, it's confused or whatever. If you notice, Jerusalem was way south. Antioch was way north, but higher elevation, okay? So there's, that's how they talked then. It's like us going down to Tempe because it's below us, way below us. Socially, everything. Um, academically, athletically. I, no, <laughs> elevation-wise, sorry. I know we got a couple ASU folks in here, so I love you. And uh, it's my turn, right? Some of you guys have heard this from the stage up in Tempe, the other direction. But anyway, it's higher elevation, so that's why it says went down. So anyway, went down to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that, um, that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So here what you see is a Christ-centeredness. Again, if you were reading this, like we said last week, I don't think we have any first century Jews in here, do we? I don't think so. Um, We would miss some things if we don't press in here. Okay, first century Jews would be reading this and would be hearing, like us probably, that, 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 that service and giftedness and all these things usually goes from one place to another, right? That the haves give to the have-nots or, you know, that, the, that these people serve these people and that's the only direction this thing is going. But again, to see, no, that this is the gospel. This is God's. This is global. It's because of Christ and his people look like Christ and take on a Christ likeness and they're centered around his gospel and they would have been reading so far and everything is centered around Jerusalem and around Jewish new Jewish believers and followers of Jesus, kind of a hierarchy, uh, a kind of a top-down idea, right? You've got apostles and disciples and these people, and then now you've got these Gentiles, right? These kind of lowly, unnamed people. But what you see here is, no, the good news doesn't belong to a particular person or a particular group of people or a particular place. The Jerusalem, which was like the, the kind of sending place, right? The, the, they, were the, they were the sugar daddies and they were distributing to everyone else. But now the tables have turned and you see God providing for his people through unlikely places that now these recipients are on the other side of that. And now they're giving, they're sharing. And they would be thinking, do I have anything to give here? Man, you don't know my story. I walked in here, we just met a guy, a couple, we've had different families here. You know, I just, you don't know my story. I just got out of jail. I just got let go. I just got here. I just came here and, you know, can the church help me out? Can the church do this? Or my family's in this particular place. Can the church do something for me and for us? And, and we say, yeah, we're a conduit to be a blessing, right? Blessed to be a blessing. How can we be used by God? But hear me, okay, look at me. It's never because we've got it all figured out and we give to people below us or anything like that. It's God knows the needs we have and we all have needs. We all need to be known and we all need to be needed. We all need to receive and we all need to give. And some of us, wherever we're at in this relationship, we need to hear that. People that are used to always giving need to hear, maybe God's withholding some things from you that you need, that you're maybe gonna get from an unlikely source that you think is always someone on the receiving end. And maybe others who think, oh, we're always on the receiving end, you know, my family gets this and this and this. Hear me, you're needed. 
God has given you gifts, insights, resources that, that everyone else needs to benefit from. And so there's a reminder here that God's church, his people, needs to be Christ-centered and dependent upon him and that his people can be used by him however he sees fit. Okay, or, amen? Okay, we've got to get this. As we are growing uh, numerically, socioeconomically, generationally, in every way, as I said here, right? Older have needs that younger can provide. Younger have needs that older can provide. Wealthier have needs that they will not get other than having relationship with people that are in a lower socioeconomic standing. And this is God's design always, is that we would be reminded that his people are dependent upon him and are centered upon him and, are, 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 and that Jesus is the, is, is the center for all of us. So as we close, we need to be reminded here that we are prone to thinking we've got it all figured out. We're prone to thinking you know, we identify with this particular social issue. We identify with this particular way of voting. We identify with this particular age demographic. We identify with this particular hobby. That's on a global level, on, on, a, on a communal element, on our families here. Oh, well, we're more about this. We eat this certain type of way, so we only hang out with other people who eat this certain type of way. I never thought he'd be saying that up here, but that, we all know that's a reality. We work out right? A certain type of way. We're CrossFit people. We only hang out with other CrossFit people and because they're the only ones that want to listen to how we work out and right. And you got all these different, different things, right? And those can be really good things. But when those become life centering things, it's distorted. It's broken. It's off. But God's forming a people who are his people. So now I want us to kind of help land the plane here, help take it from out there to in here, to in here. God's scope is global. What do we need to do individually and as a church to even now as we respond, to ask God, how have I maybe brought you down a little too small? How have I forgotten the map of where this whole thing started, of where Christianity that went to the ends of the earth came from and came through? It's yours. How do you want to expand my vision? How do you want to expand my perspective? How do you want to use me and us to be a part of your global scope? Christ-likeness. Lord, have I gotten that progression out of whack? God's grace. He is faithful so we can be faithful. And when we're faithful, we look like Christ. Christ, do I look like you? Does my life look like you? Is there a, a form in everything that I do that looks like you, that has a cross shape, has an empty tomb shape? If not, am I being faithful? If not, is it because I don't get your grace? I don't get your gospel? And then lastly, are we centered on Christ and Christ alone? Is there anything else that we give ourselves to and, 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 and flow out of and orient ourselves to, again, individually, familially, as a church? Because it's all about Christ and his good news of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing. 
Thank you as we've even seen this morning, as we, as we got to pray for families and for children and, and to remember your good news even on display there. Lord, that you are, you are bringing hope where there has been hopelessness. That you're, you're changing family legacies and trajectories. Lord, that you are carrying out a work that is global in scope. And Lord, it's all in and through the person and work of Jesus. That you didn't leave us here to flounder and to fail in our own sin and our own identity, but you've called us out individually and as a people to be Christians, to be little Christs because of your grace, because we are saturated and defined by your good news, your, your undeserved favor, so clearly on display through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would be centered and shaped and formed and sent in response to your good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.